Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all here. Wow, we have, we have everybody over here, and we have a few folks over here, so maybe when we start greeting and everything, some of you all move on. I'm a very symmetrical person. It's, it's, I have a problem with asymmetry, so I'm, you, it may just find myself kind of stuttering every now and then because I'm just a little bit off balance here. So, yeah, you have no idea what we're talking about online, but I'm glad that you're with us online as well. So everybody register your tenants. Let us know that you're with us online. Let us know that you're here. You can say hi if you're watching on Facebook or uh, you can sign on um, if you're watching on the website. Um, also, a uh, couple of quick things. The, um, the app, you can plug into the app. I also always want to remind people of the app that helps you kind of check into this service directly if you have problems getting it on your TV and other sources. Um, I think that's mainly the, the most of what we're talking about today. There's some other opportunities there that you'll see on the bulletins as well as that we're coming up here that you can get involved with and, and church-wide, especially in this season of Lent as we're making our way towards the Easter season. Um, I believe that's all we have for now. I'm sure I'll think of something as we start going. We're in the second Sunday of this series we're calling Pro-Future Faith. Uh, the prodigal species comes home. So we're looking at the prodigal son's story in a lot of different ways. But in particular today, the question that I have for you and for you online is, why, wh what's the purpose of religion? What's the point of it? And, and for that matter, what's the point of the future? This 
Good morning. morning. (laughs) Y'all are awesome as always. Oh my gosh. Welcome to 1111 on this beautiful winter morning. (laughs) That's going to be 86 degrees. (laughs) Is this on? Oh, okay. So I'm going to light the welcome candle and then if you'll read along with me. I practiced. It came on earlier. Okay, here we go. Read along with me. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, does not matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you've broken your vows a thousand times, come yet again. Thank you, Jenny. Folks, I want to invite you to stand now and sing this glorious song with us, please. It's Anamkara, lyrics on the screen, and it's also time to bring your offering on up to the table. Here we go. In the midst of the morning, we open to all of gifts of the day we open our hearts and take it all in and give it all back in our way now the chorus let us sing of the beauty around us let us sing of the beauty within oh hear the earth tell that all shall be well on them cover on them cover so fair we're part of it all in our sorrow, yeah. We're part of it all in our bliss. We're part of the sun and part of the rain. We're all part of God's holy king. Let us sing of the beauty around us. Let us sing of the beauty within shall be well on them cover on them cover so fresh verse three every sunrise every twilight we're part of the grand design through seasons of dark and moments of light in unity our spirits align let us sing of the beauty around Sing of the beauty within. Oh, hear the earth tell that all shall be well. Anamkara, Anamkara, so friend. Oh, hear. Oh, hear the earth tell that all shall be well. Anamkara, Anamkara, so friend. keeper right there. Excellent. Would y'all take this moment now and offer one another a sign of peace?
Good morning, everyone. Um, so everybody, get comfortable. Story time today is going to be a little longer. <laughs> um, reading Luke 15, 11 through 24. Then Jesus said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. I And they began to have a wonderful time. That was great. You did it. <laughs> Would y'all please sing, uh, sing this song with us? It's an 11-11 original. It goes like this. If I were to pray if I were to pray in the breaking of the morning or the dying of the day, what would I say? And what would I say? What would my heart speak if I were to pray? And if I were to sing. If I were to sing, if my soul could give some honest offering, what would I bring? And what would I bring? What are the simple truths my soul would want to say? Do will not the earth end? Will not the sacred life and all creation turn to live And will not my song throughout cosmos ring and swim that crystal bell? say, and what would I say, 
would my heart speak? Oh, if I were to pray. Kairos song, isn't it? So this is Kairos time. If you're new with us, that means we're just going to stop right here. We're in the middle of what was and what will be. And we do this because it's practice. It's an exercise because what a good habit to be in to just stop, to take a beat, to take a breath. So that's what we'll do together this morning. And so if you'd like to, get real comfortable, maybe sit up straight so there's plenty of room for deep breathing. If you want to, close your eyes. And I'm going to talk a little, but you breathe. And maybe you'll latch on to some of these ideas I'm giving you. So take a couple of deep breaths. Slow exhale. And what do you need to take a beat from? Are you about to miss something important because you're rushing? Are you about to say something regrettable because you're caught up in the moment? Are you giving in to fear? Take a beat. What about those crazy thoughts going on in your head? Maybe take a beat. Don't listen to everything you believe. Certainly don't listen to everything you think. Take a beat. Breathe in the breath of life and know that you are more than the role you play, more than the crazy thoughts in your head more than the fears, more than the harsh judgments. Holy One, help us to stop and to look and to listen and maybe to pray. Amen. Thank you, Sharm. Um, thanks to the band and thanks to the AV crew back there, everyone, who, uh, Avonel, all the folks who really work hard to kind of pull this thing together quickly, this mobile reality that we're in. Um, if y'all had noticed, you'd notice that if you were with us last week, you noticed we did the same scripture, different version. We're going to use the same scripture for the next five weeks. And uh, we're going to look at it in different ways. We're going to take a different slant on it each time, I think, and maybe even a different uh, in interpretation. And I'm looking for some unusual ones. So you don't want to miss the next few Sundays because we're going to hear some interesting versions of this particular story. But if you were really paying attention and you, you heard this first song by, by Talking Heads, um, Nothing But Flowers, you, you, it may have taken you a moment to see what's going on, right? Because it was, it was a twist, yeah, they, they really wanted the factories back. They really wanted the concrete reality back. They really wanted the predictable sort of certainty that they had with all of the structures and habitual kinds of ways that they had been living. But now they got flowers. Now they got fields and corn and, and all this beauty. So they'd rather, have, they'd rather get back. You know, it's not, not a paved paradise, put up a parking lot as, far as, as if that was bad. They kind of want to put up a parking lot, pave paradise and put up a parking lot in spite of all that. So it's, it's, a, it's a reverse sort of coming at this question of how we look at reality and where we are right now. Maybe because we're really not being that honest with ourselves and what we feel about what's going on right now with where we are now. And, and that's what I wanted to play with this story as the prodigal species as opposed to the prodigal son. Because I think if you grew up in the church at all, or if you've been through the church, or if your faith journey has included Christianity 101, sort of like the very basic understanding of Christianity in that story, then you think it's all about you. 
all about me, all about my salvation. God loves me. It's a great story. Reminds me that God loves me, no matter what I do. Or in the case of, of this story, it reminds them that God loves the Samaritans, <laughs> no matter what they think. Or loves the others, the unclean. I mean, after, after all, the guy was hanging out with pigs, and they still, I mean, really, talk about breaking all the kosher rules. So there's that, but there's something else. And that's what I want to get to today is like, really, what is the whole point of religion anyway? If the point is, is that we're not always getting it right, then what is the point of religion? If the point is that there's 25,000 different religions in the world, and there's almost 60,000 different types of Christianity in the world, did you know that? 60,000. I can see the one guy and, and maybe one of his friends who are like, we're a denomination. It's all us. It's all our way. And they're sitting in their corner. There's almost 60,000 different varieties of Christianity. If that's the case, what's the point? What is religion really for? I wanted to put this little quote up here just to kind of get us started. I love this Bette Miller quote. My whole life's been spent waiting for an epiphany, a manifestation of God's presence, the kind of transcendent magical experience that lets you see your place in the big picture. That's what I had with my first compost heap. Something to think about. Where is it we're looking for it? What is it that we really think this is all about? So I've, I've told this before. I'm going to tell it again because I think it illustrates a point that I want to get to here. Um, so these three guys, or actually there was, a, there was a woman and two men. There was a rabbi and a priest and a preacher. And they were sitting around having a beer and talking to each other and just kind of chatting about theology and various things. And finally one of them says, um, so listen... When, when, when you're dead and you're at your funeral and you're, you're in the casket there, what do you hope people looking in and, and reflecting on you, what do you hope they'll say about you? What do you think they'll say? And so the three of them were sitting there thinking about that. And the first one said, well, I hope that they would look back on my life as they see me and think of how generous I was and how kind I was and how much I loved other people. And they said, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And then the second one, the, uh, the priest said, well, what I hope is that, you know, they'll reflect on the, uh, my, my ethics and, and the teachings that I gave, that they'll, they'll think of me as having been a really wise individual that really imparted a lot of good information that was helpful. And uh, the, they said, well, that sounds pretty cool. They looked at the rabbi and they said, what about you? And she said, well, I hope that they look in there and they go, hey, she's moving. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in your life? I mean, you might say, I'm really not afraid of anything because, you know, well, we've got things going our way and we're pretty much doing pretty good. Most of us are pretty privileged and we've had some pretty, we have life pretty easy. And I bet that there's a lot of things that you're more afraid of than you don't realize. Are you afraid of, you know, the, 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 uh, the primary ones, the, what is it, uh, FOMO, um, FOLO, FOTO, FOC, F-O-C, FOC, um, FOFAT, you know that one? Fear of failing at everything, I mean all the time, fear of failing all the time, FOFAT, yeah. You don't have that one? Fear, fear of failing? FOMO, fear of missing out, FOLO, fear of losing out, FOC, fear of change, FOTO, fear of the other. We have a lot of different things that make us anxious. We could have fear of the future of the climate. Fear about the future of the climate. Fear about the political rally that we're in. I mean, in reality, we have a lot of things we're anxious about. Fear of not, being, of ha not having enough friends. Fear of not being enough. Fear of not being included. We have a lot of different things that keep us anxious all the time. And yet what's interesting is that we also have this idea that we are somehow inextricably interconnected with everyone, and with all of life. So there's a disconnect in our own stories, that we, in, in the stories we tell ourselves, the things we're afraid of, and yet we're all interconnected, and maybe everybody else doesn't get it, but we get it, or I get it. So why am I afraid? What am I afraid of? And why am I afraid of dying? What, why am I afraid of mortality, if in fact we are all interconnected? It's an interesting question to ask, I think, so, I wanted to put this one up here too. Some of you might have this understanding of sort of this, this kind of fear as well. 
If you're like, if you are like me, as I was 15 years, 20 years ago, when I first started making my transition out of a more traditional orthodox and rigid kind of, of, of theology, when I was part of the Bible church, for example, back in college and then later on in my early years as a preacher in the Methodist church, there were moments after I had departed from that way of thinking that I often thought there was still a bunch of those things in the back of my, you know, following me around. And whenever I would share with friends who were part of this journey with me, and, you know, if I said, I don't even believe in hell anymore, they'd step away about five or ten feet from me. You know, I'm like, maybe this isn't safe to be around you. And it's true, too, that if, I'm gonna, if I share things like that in here, there could be from time to time someone who wanders in here thinking that this is a praise worship service because we have a band. And then he gets up there and he starts talking about God as reality personified. And the idea of a supernatural God may be something else entirely. And before you know it, you can see people kind of leaving. And it's not my intention to undermine people or yank carpets out from underneath people, but just why are you here? I mean, if we're coming to gather together in order to be comforted and, found and find you know, familiar language, find things that we find familiar, well, we're just like everybody else in the world. We're just looking for our tribe. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm kind of here to piss you off. Well, kind of. I don't want to do it too quickly or too abruptly. But I'd love for me, I, I would love for you that when I'm gone, you look over and go, you know, one of the things, he irritated me a lot. <laughs> but then you keep coming because you're, you're thinking, you're curious, and you want to know how it all fits together. Even when you can't figure that out, you're comfortable with this uncertainty. And so um, part of why I think we're here is maybe to learn how we can practice living with this uncertainty and how we can share that story with others. So there's a story that comes from the people on whose land we now live and reside. If we're looking at, if we look back 150, 200 years, actually you have to go back to about one, uh, to 1840. I think that was the last battle in Fort Worth that ran off the final sort of uh, groups of, of indigenous people here in the area. So maybe 170 years back, 160 years. But if you go back far enough, um, you will find that the people who were here were, were the Kickapoo and the Caddo, not so many of the Caddo until you go east, but the Kickapoo and the Apache were the, the people that lived here, the nations that... that shared this land that we now live on, that we now sort of took possession of, you know, almost 180 years ago, 170 years ago. It's interesting to me when we think about where we are, how we got here, and then what does that say for where we're going, given that story? Is that still the story we live by, unwittingly or intentionally? So one of, the, one of the Kickapoo stories involved something called the storytelling stone. And it, it, the way that the story goes was that in the earliest time, they tell the story that in the earliest time of the people, there was a young boy who had gone out hunting. He was a young man, but he was the age of a young teenager at best, at, at his oldest. And he was making his way out in the wild, and he was hunting for the family, for the community. And, and after he had gotten a couple of uh, birds and felt pretty satisfied that he had enough to bring for his share for the food that they would all eat, he took a rest and he laid up against a stone, a large stone. And as he laid there, the stone began to speak to him. And the stone began to tell him a story. It said, I have many things to share with you, but what will you share with me? And so the boy left one of the, animal, one of the birds that he had killed, he left it there on the rock as an offering. And then the storytelling stone began to tell him stories about how things began, about how the people came about. And then it said this was enough, and he went home and told his family and told some of the others about the storytelling stone, but they all thought he was a little crazy and they didn't really pay much attention to it. But the young man would go back there every day, and each time as he would hunt, he would leave something on the stone. And each time as he would sit there, the stone would tell him something else about the stories. The animals, they talk, you know. The animals, they respond to life in ways we don't always understand, but the animals are working with you, though you're not always working with them. And sometimes they're mischievous. 
So he told trickster stories, and he told creation stories, and he told stories about how Raven had sometimes had brought the fire into the people so that the people would have heat. And then again, the boy left something and he went home. And this went on for a number of weeks until the storytelling stone had said, I've told you all the stories I have. Now what will you do with them? And it didn't speak anymore. Now, the first time I heard the story, that's where the teller ended the story. And I wanted to go like, well, did they do that? Did they keep telling the stories? Did they respond to their animal kins the way in their animal kin in the way that the storytelling stone spoke about them? And of course, you know, the, the teller would just say, you know, look around. Is is that what you see? And then leave it at that. When I first heard, when I thought about this story the other day, because I was looking, actually, I guess it was like the night before last when I started looking. It wasn't quite the full moon. Last night was the snow moon. But when I was looking up at the moon, it, it just made me think about some of these old Native American stories I used to hear when I would travel around as a storyteller. And it got me thinking about this whole idea of how we, don't, we think everything is about people. We think life is about people. We see life in terms of ourselves. And oftentimes, without us really knowing, we think it's about us. Here's what uh, Chief Seattle wrote. I, wrote, I sent the, put this up last week, but I think it's still worth looking at. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. And whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect now, I thought about this boy, and it immediately made me think of Greta Thunberg. You know Greta Thunberg? You know, and, and you, you know how many times for the last several years, probably since five, six years ago, she went up against the, 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 uh, the, uh, uh, in the Paris Accord meeting. She, she would gather with all these different climate, these nations' climate summits, and she would speak. And I read something the other day about, in a magazine, I read an article about where is Greta Thunberg now? And what's she doing now? Well, she's still doing what she's always believed in doing, but she's not speaking that much more in public. And when someone asked her why and told her about some new policy that was coming forward, her response was, blah, blah, blah. And that's pretty much how she responds now to anything she hears. It made me wonder about what, is, what happened to the stories that she was trying to tell. What happened to the stories that this boy was learning and telling and, telling and passing around hundreds of years ago in those early Native American cultures? Where have we kind of lost this idea that in fact we are interconnected? So I want to think with you quickly a couple of things. Thinking about us as the prodigal species is a little challenging. It's a little hard, because one of two things happen. The first thing I've heard happen since I talked about this last week, and I used the definition of God is reality personified. That if we started thinking about who God is and what God is, then what, let's think about reality itself, evidential reality, what we see, what we experience, what, what life, the interconnected, intertwined web, is telling us. The storytelling stone. If we think about God as reality personified as reality, we're thinking about what we experience in reality. And our personification, how we try to understand it, well, that's what we do because we're trying to relate. But it's not always reality. Reality is how we experience things. Reality is what's talking to us. This is not that unusual from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God always spoke in rocks. God always spoke in crevices between the mountains. God spoke in the wind and the clouds. God spoke in stuff coming from the skies. God spoke in a burning bush. It's not that unusual. But what we've done is we've kind of moved from that understanding of God and we've more applied empire to it. So it becomes kind of a control thing. It becomes a way we, and I'm not saying church is trying to control us. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it's our, ten, our tendency to want to control. 
We want to be able to control things. And when we can't, we personify those things in ways that we hope will make us feel better. But reality is telling us what we need to hear. God as reality is telling us what we need to hear. But it's a challenge to think about that. So I shared that, and several people came up with me, and they said, yeah, but I don't think I, I mean, what are you, what are you saying about my personal relationship with God? What does that say, then, about how we experience God personally? I've come to realize this is one of my mantras that I often share. I've shared it many times. You've heard me say it in here many times. Jalaluddin Rumi, the 15th or 14th century Middle Eastern mystic, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. It's a hard thing, I think, to put into practice, but it's also an inspiring thing. How many ways and moments are we invited to set aside, to try to find the barriers, the things that we are preventing ourselves from experiencing sacredness in our moments? Now, they break in because I hear them all the time. This was a God moment. That was a God moment. This is a God thing. That was a God thing. I've told many stories in here about that. We, we all experience those from time to time, but we forget that that's because that's reality. Those moments are always there. They're always waiting for us to shed some of the barriers that we put up to experiencing love in the midst of where we are. The challenge for us is that we get caught up in our fears and our despair. And the idea, for example, that how am I supposed to do anything about the climate? I recycle. I take five and a half minute showers. I turned them at half thing to where I have to like literally splash it on myself so I'm not using up the water. If there's a glass of water left over that I don't know who it is, it goes to the plants. I live as conscientiously as I can and the world's still going to hell in a handbasket climate-wise. How come it's not making a difference? I haven't bought my electric car yet, but I'll get there. But that's not the total answer either. It's a start. It's a, it's a helpful direction, but... The reality is that the climate is a big problem. We know it has to be dealt with at higher levels, right? We know that. And we know, in fact, that some of what's going to be happening can't be reversed, but we can still slow things down. It's interesting to me that indigenous people always saw their relationship with their reality as intimate, as sacred. And that maintained a sustainable kind of relationship. Imagine yourself in your relationship with someone you love or your partner or your friend or your, your husband or wife. Imagine that relationship and what keeps it sustainable. It's what you invest in it. It's what you give to it, right? That's what keeps it sustainable. The earth isn't anything less. We just treat it that way. We forget that the rocks are alive. They move really slow, but they're alive. We think things are inanimate and therefore they're not important. But in reality, if you look at the big picture, we're not that important. In the big scope of things, we're only here for half a blip. Rocks will be here for hundreds of years. And they become something else over time, right? They become dust, they become particles, they become minerals. Then they become something else. And we do too. We forget that we have this profoundly intimate relationship that's always trying to invite us to come home, and yet we kind of get busy with everything else. Your task is not to look for love, but to look for all the barriers that block it. Bill McKibben, the environmentalist, was at a, was, was at a, a climate talk, and someone asked him, what can I possibly do as an individual, how can I make a difference as an individual? And his response was, stop being an individual. You get that? That is really hard to do, to stop being an individual. How do we participate in a way of being in our presence that helps others? I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I know a lot of us will vote for sustainable policies. I don't know how many of us actually invest that way. <laughs> you know, that's challenging too. I acknowledge that reality. 
but how do we transform the story we tell about our relationship to life itself? How do we transform that theologically so that we begin to understand it's not about me. My personal relationship is you. My personal relationship is life. How do we begin to retell that story as a love story? And what if, in fact, the whole thing is a love story? That all of life is really about how we learn to love. Not, not, not in the sense of romantic love, although that's an interesting possibility, but how do we love life with that kind of intimacy? How do we have that kind of personal relationship with all of our moments? How many of you saw the moon last night? Or last couple of nights? Okay, why didn't the rest of you see it? <laughs> it was a big sky. It's going to be out there again tonight. Go look at it. Now, how many of you that did see it last night sat there for five minutes and took 20 or 30 deep breaths as you stared at it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, actually amazing. That's wonderful. Um, and because we appreciate it, or do we? Right? We appreciate our moments, or do we? You know, how how, you know how your spouse is always saying, are you really listening to me? Or your partner's also, or you're saying that to them. You know, I can tell you're not listening to me. I mean, we, we know this relationship, right? But do we realize that we have that same relationship with life itself? Do we realize how much we simply waste and spend our relationship with life casually, carelessly, carefree, without realizing this intimate possibility so I want to sh- close, the band, or I hope the band, y'all can come on up here. But I want to close with something, and the only reason why is because I get to play ukulele, and I always look forward to an opportunity to play ukulele. But also because I want to encourage you, as you look at life, as you think about the songs that you listen to, especially as you think about the love songs you listen to, that it's not about that kind of love. Every love song you listen to is either about how, you're, how you are connecting with life in the big picture intimately or how you're not. And you've gone out and you've taken their heart out and you've stamped that sucker flat. That's what we're doing in reality. Every song, every story, everything we read, what would it be like if we saw our relationship with reality is a love story? Is this on? Here we go. I have you muted. Oh, you had me muted. Well, that helps. Not hearing it there. Are we getting it? You kind of hearing it? Okay. I'm barely hearing it. Okay. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter or Mars. And whatever, please be true. Whatever life, I love you. Fill my heart with song. Let me sing forevermore. You are the one that I long for, the one that I worship. Can we say that about life? And adore, and whatever, please be true. Whatever, I love you.
I dare you to begin to start having that loving relationship with life. Uh, Tom picked this last song, and it's absolutely nuts, y'all, but it's perfect at the same time. Here we go. I need a drink of water. I mean, seriously. Okay, thanks. Who was saved the river valley? That's my drinking water. This was once a sacred place now. Look at what we've got here. I pretend there isn't any problem. Just do my job. If I don't like the standard of living, go move to Russia. job on that one. Yeah, that's a great way to end. What a beautiful... How many of you know of Moxie Fruvis? Anybody in here know that band? Moxie Fruvis? Well, they're, no, they're, they're no longer doing touring and stuff, but you can check them out online, and uh, they have other great songs. But this song just struck me as this is our... This is kind of like our anthem, really. How do you practice your love relationship, your love story with life? And how do you tell that story then to everyone else? So um, let's stand... And I give you a little practice as you, as you go about your week this week. I'll send it out in the takeaways anyway, but just to be thinking about this. If you think about any good relationship, it involves attention, it involves empathy, 
It involves uh, connecting. So we go in the world in pieces, not because we are broken, but because we fit together with all of life. And so go out into the world and spend some time with some of the other pieces. Amen.